You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 106. Mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Chris Thomas, Super Bowl champion wide receiver and sports life coach, as he shares his story of adversity and how every obstacle that he experienced throughout his career served as a life lesson that led him to love and accept himself and to achieve greatness. Learning how to navigate and overcome the uncontrollable forces in the world led him to be a sports life coach and teach athletes to tap into their most confident self. It is Chris's spirit and will to serve others that will leave you inspired and motivated to never give up. interested in a full body resistance training system to achieve your athletic and fitness goals, the mass suit from Juke Performance is your answer. The mass suit is a full body resistance training suit that you wear during your exercising or sports specific training to enhance your speed, strength, power, agility, and endurance. You are fully mobile and it's great for plyometric and high intensity training. It engages all muscle groups simultaneously and increases to a 50% caloric burn. Check out the mass suit at jukeperformance.com and other fitness-related products, and make sure to use the promo code GRANTPAR, one word, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-R, for your 10% discount. Hey, Chris, how are you? GP, I'm doing good. How are you, brother? Oh, man, I'm excited, man. It's, uh, I'm excited to have you on my show. You and I have spent a lot of time on the phone just hitting the ball back and forth just on life and our careers and, and, and just loving mental performance and mental skills training. And I can't wait to just have you share with my listeners just your, your journey and your mindset as an athlete and how you dealt with adversity you know, at the elite level. And then also sharing your company, Fusion Odyssey, which is a, for the most part, a mental performance practice. So I, I'm super excited for you to share everything with my list, listeners. Yeah, bro, I got I got plenty of stories of adversity to share. So <laughs> I'm, I'm probably a good source. You know? All right. All right. Well, before we get into that, which is kind of a nice segue into adversity, we're going to talk about mental toughness. So when you think of being mentally tough, what does that mean to you? Gosh, well, it's funny because the meaning that it has now versus how you grow up, I think, are two different things, right? So when, when you're younger and someone talks about mental toughness, generally speaking, it's in more of a physical sense. It's like if someone hurts you or something, you know, dust yourself off, put dirt on your injury and get back on the horse and ride, right? Or get back up and swing the bat because you got hit by the ball or you got hit hard in football and, and you're crying on the ground and someone say, hey, tough it out and be tough and get back up and, and show that you're not hurt, right? So um, when you're a kid, I think that men, being mentally tough, ironically, is referencing you being physically tough, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but then as you get older, you start recognizing, well, particularly for me too, because I was always sort of a mentally tough kid. So I didn't have to like search for being mentally tough. You know, I grew up in an, in an environment that you had to kind of be tough in. So it just taught me to be thick skinned and it taught me to go fervently pursue what it is that I wanted. And I didn't think about like being scared of failing or anything like that when I was a kid. So that just was sort of second nature to me. But as you get older, 
and you get more exposed uh, to a bigger stage, which makes you feel more vulnerable, then you start recognizing that mental toughness is taking on a whole other context. And that context is really around how do I contend with the elements of fear of failure and expectation and pressure and judgment and trying to be perfect so that it doesn't affect and inhibit my ability to go pursue the greatness that I really want. So um, for me, I, I always was mentally tough and didn't really think about um, or, or become overwhelmed by the idea of failing or the idea of not getting what I wanted. I always just kind of expected it was going to work because I was good enough. And I thought that I was good enough, whether I was or not. Um, it wasn't until the NFL that I really got exposed to what it meant and the depths of where I needed to go if I was going to survive my experience and not collapse under the weight of judgment and, and fear of failure and people sort of wanting you to fail. So it took on a whole other context, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I've had multiple pe- multiple people throughout my career and also as you know a mental performance coach throughout this career i've had so many people say you know if if you are striving to be mentally tough you have to be physically tough as well you just can't be one thing like if, you, if you're going to be mentally tough you have to actually be physically tough too so it totally makes sense that that was kind of you know being physically tough was kind of you know the the inception of, of this mindset. And then as you got more into your career, it kind of blossomed and it matured into more of the mental side of the toughness, if you will. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, and you can attest to this, I'm sure when you're younger, you know, especially given our age group, when you were younger, there was no one who knew anything at all about the power of the mind and the influence of the mind on performance. So the only way they referenced it was in the way of physical toughness, Yeah, you know, so no one knew anything about the mind. No one's even talking about that. I mean, I never heard about that until day one in the NFL when a coach said, get ready, man, the game's about to become 85% mental and 50% physical. And even when you hear that, you totally dismiss it because <laughs> there's no evidence that that's even true. You know what I mean? It's like totally. we, we, all got, we all got to that room because we were great athletes. And because we were great athletes, we could do more with that athleticism and be more dynamic and show better on the bigger stages. And that's why someone was giving us a chance to go fulfill a dream of playing in the NFL. So when you heard it, it was like this whole foreign concept that you completely dismissed. So, yeah, I mean, no one was talking about mental toughness from a place of the actual psychological and emotional element of the mind. They just were referencing it when we were young in the way of being physically tough and get yourself up and don't show weakness and all that stuff, which, yeah. which really is, is not developing a toolkit at all. Because no. really, <laughs> at the end of the day, you can still fear failing. You can still judge. You can still feel pressure. And you can still try to live up to expectations and feel overwhelmed by it. So it's not really addressing like you unlocking the mind. Right. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting as, as, as a youth, when I was playing all these different sports, I had a, my father was awesome. My dad was involved Every single baseball team, he coached pretty much almost every baseball team. And if he wasn't coaching baseball, he was a part. He was like a president of youth football or the president of the little league. Like he was really involved in the development, not only mine but my brothers as well. But yeah, like you said, like back in the the era that we grew up in, there wasn't this language. This wasn't there wasn't. And if if there was somebody trying to push this language, it was like no one was buying into it. And 
But my dad, it, this was crazy. The things he was teaching my brother and myself about visualization, uh, self-talk, and breathing, those three things, he was like way ahead of his time. But if anybody else outside my dad was going to try to teach me to do that stuff, I'd be like, no way, man. Like, absolutely not. But because it came from my dad, and my, no one taught my dad. My dad thought it was more of just a logical thing because he, he competed. And he felt that those things were lacking in his performance when he was younger. So he was just kind of pushing that towards us. But for me, as my development as an athlete, like I was pretty blessed that I, I was exposed to that, even when I didn't even know I was being exposed to it. I, I thought that was just kind of the the way it was, like, those are the things that you do as an athlete. It was becoming a standard and a best practice when I didn't even know it. That is incredible awareness by your dad, because yeah. you're right. I mean, no one was talking about that stuff back then, ever. Um, and it was always just, who's the most gifted? That's the kid who's going to get the chance to go succeed. And everyone else was left to deal with, you know, feeling as though they might not be enough. Uh, and, and so that, that right there is the emotional part of performance and the psychological part of performance that you have to develop because there's only a small fraternity and sorority of people who are going to be exceptionally gifted enough to always seem to be able to get what they want. And even they're not really um, becoming mentally tough. What happens in their experiences, including my own, up until I got to the NFL, was that no one's just scrutinizing them. You know, so they're, they're just not being judged. Because they're talented enough that people always believe that they're going to go and affect the game in a positive way. So they have no interest in scrutinizing you when things don't work out. You have evidence to prove that, well, at some point I'm going to do something really good. So people just give you a pass. So it's not really like you're addressing it, the mental game or becoming more empowered to, uh, to bring the mental game into play. You just haven't been exposed to being scrutinized, so you haven't had a reason to worry about it. You know, you don't understand what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Um, so and, and at some point, that all comes to a head because, you know, at some point you will be scrutinized unless you are, again, like the less than 1%, the 0.0025% of the people on the planet that are just that talented that they're going to just get away with it always and no one's ever going to say a word about it. Um, but for the large majority of the rest of us, that is not the case. So, yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating thing because, again, back then it was about being physically tough, which I guess made you mentally tough, but not in the truest sense of mental toughness. Right, right. Absolutely. You know, and, and kind of staying on this theme of, of mental toughness, can you share, and I know there's a ton of different um, antidotes you could probably pick from, but can you share a specific time within your career where you had to be mentally tough, that that maybe that signature moment where you just had to dig deep and become mentally tough. And so when you say mentally tough, how, in what way are you referencing that? I think, cause my, I have a few where I've had to endure um, someone's visceral uh, attack on me. I've had other moments where it's like, um, I could have been fearful enough that I wouldn't have let myself thrive in a moment that was a huge moment and maybe a defining moment within a game I've had other moments where you suffer through an injury and you can either, you know, retreat as a result of it, or you can make yourself vulnerable to the unknown, which in itself takes mental toughness. So um, in, in what way are you kind of referencing? I'd love to share whichever. Yeah. And, you know, so that's the thing about being mentally tough. I think it's, it's in any situation. I think 
there's there's multiple things that as athletes performers internally and externally that we have to deal with so whether if it is an injury whether if it is an outside force that is you know messing with your your ego or if it is um you know fourth down and you know four and 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 you're doubting yourself but some way somehow in that moment you actually overcame those nerves and that self-doubt and you and you came out on the other side with the touchdown like whatever it is so it could be anything any anything that you had to deal with that was super tough chaotic emotionally or mentally but you actually overcame it okay that's awesome so then i will reference my senior year in college because that was the first time that I was really challenged emotionally and psychologically. Um, up until that point, I, my path certainly was not a straight line path to getting where I wanted to be. My dream was to go play professional football ever since I was seven or eight. And it became a reality after my junior year. I was a projected third to sixth round draft choice, um, depending on how my senior year in college went. And um, I trained with an NFL quarterback for an entire summer prior to my senior year, as well as an NFL DB. So I felt like I was in great position to go have an exceptional season, go to training camp, and I pulled my hip flexor like the second or third day. Uh, so already I'm hobbled. I'm hobbled for a couple of weeks. The season starts and I'm not 100%. And so I'm playing in the first two games at less than 100%. I'm finally 100% going into the third game. I know I have some time to make up for really excited to go show the world what I can do. And seven minutes into that game, I suffer a season-ending injury. So um, in that moment, I would be lying if I said that there was not an exorbitant amount of despair. Um, and the despair came because I would have been okay if the dream was never tangible. But the dream became tangible after my junior season when spring ball started for that next season – and NFL scouts are sitting on the rails watching you practice because you are a candidate. Mm -hmm. And that's when it became tangible. So there's a completely different emotional connection when it becomes tangible, if that makes sense. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and so I, I was preparing to now make what was tangible my true reality. And I felt that there was every reason for that to be accomplished. And then when I got hurt, you could just see that disappear in an instance, in an instant. So I was devastated about that, didn't really know what the future was going to look like, and ended up being in a splint for just under five weeks. And when I came out of that splint, I went from 188 pounds to 172 pounds. So I was a fraction of the player that was an NFL's prospect. I'm now like starting rehab. Uh, the season's progressing, so it's closing in on like the midway point of the season. And I'm not playing, but I do know that when the season concludes, that at some point, I'm hopeful that I'm going to have these NFL workouts and I feel like really stressed about the, the little amount of time I'm going to have to prepare for those. Um, and so it took me a while to get to a point where I could even lift weights and run uh, and do the things I was going to need to do to get in shape. And so before I knew it, those workouts were there. And, and, and I guess, fortunately I had those workouts. Unfortunately, I was in no uh, shape to really do well in them. So I did not. Mm. Uh, and so um, it was very frustrating because I knew I was blowing opportunity after opportunity every time a team came to work me out. And it just seemed like nothing was going my way. Um, I'm trying to put weight back on. I'm trying to just lift for the first time uh, right after I'm rehabbing. And then as I'm two or three weeks into my workout, I'm feeling really bad. And I find out that I have mono. 
So that's a setback. And it was just one thing after the next. My first NFL workout wasn't even outside because it was raining when the Indianapolis Colts came to work me out. So we do this workout in a gym where I'm running a 40 you know, yard dash across the gym with like five yards to stop before I crush into the wall. It was just like, it was just, <laughs> wow. it was just irrational. The whole thing was just completely irrational. Um, and just added to my frustration. I was at Cal Poly and I loved my school, but at Cal Poly, it wasn't really um, a, a sports centric minded school. It was that academic. So no one was interested in cutting the grass to be a fraction of an inch high so that I could run better 40 times. And in shuttle times, the grass was, five inches high, you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it's, it's slowing me down every time I go out there to run my times and your times matter in the NFL, you are critiqued and evaluated based on how good your times are. And you may not get a chance to even sign with a team if your times are bad enough. And so none of my times were great. They weren't horrible, but they weren't great. And they were just okay. And somehow uh, I just reached a point where um I was so frustrated with everything that was going on that I could feel myself just start to reach my breaking point and that happened. I was working out for, I believe the dolphins and, and I, I was starting to do the shuttle drills. They were timing me on and I was going around the cone and I slipped. And the moment I slipped, I literally, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I remember it like it was yesterday. I could feel myself just boil inside. Um, and I was just, it wasn't that moment. It was everything prior to that moment that was just coming to a head. Yeah. Uh, and I had, I had no outlet. I wasn't letting it out. I was just trying to be strong and tough and like just overcome all this stuff. And then I lined up again and I slipped again. And, and so now I'm literally on fire internally. Like if you would have touched me, you probably would have got a third degree burn. Um, <laughs> I was just enraged inside. And I couldn't show it because you don't feel like you can show it. I'm just like taking a deep breath, trying to get centered. The, the scout lets me do it again. And I slipped again. And that was it. Like literally I just lost my sense of reality. And to this day, I still can't believe I did this, but I walked over to the side. I sat down and started taking off my cleats. And I said, I'm done. And the scout's like, excuse me. And I said, I'm done. And he said, are you sure? And I said, yes, done. And didn't even, I literally didn't even look at him, GP. I didn't acknowledge his existence. I was just like in my own world where I needed to be mad and upset and like just let it all out. And this was the way in that moment that I decided to vent. And he just said, okay, and he walked away. And fortunately, I had a mentor who once upon a time played professional football. He was a coach at Cal Poly at that time who was there. He oversaw every one of my workouts. And he came over and said, listen, I know you're frustrated. Uh, I know you're upset. But if you ever do that again, you may never get a chance to play in the NFL. You might not get one now because of that. And so you're left to really contemplate it all. And I was so frustrated and I felt so overwhelmed and let down that I was ready to be a victim, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Because I felt cheated. I just felt upset and cheated. Like, why? I've done everything right. I already had to deal with, you know, 10 obstacles before I ever had the one season that put me on the NFL map. And then just like that, it was eviscerated. Um, so I had two choices, to either be a victim to it and, and lose my journey in the process or to say, and this takes a lot of courage, by the way, and this is the mental fortitude, and it's probably my first experience with it, where you have to say, you know what? I'm going to trust that there is something on the other side of this, something I cannot see, 
that is where I'm supposed to be and that this is the path I'm supposed to be on. So I'm going to, with as much courage as I can, and it's going to be a battle because every day moving forward, I'm going to want to recall how cheated I feel, but it's going to be a challenge to, to conjure the courage to every day make myself completely vulnerable to the unknown in, in the face of what seems so grim and seems so doubtful that there's any chance on God's green earth that I'm going to earn a, an opportunity to play in the NFL. I'm still going to trust that I'm, I'm, I'm big enough and strong enough and I have enough courage to make myself vulnerable to that unknown. And that's a really hard thing for people to do. Oh yeah. Um, so that was probably a real defining moment for me because in doing that, only God knows how, but I was able to get five teams that wanted to sign me as a free agent. I did not get drafted, but I signed as a free agent with the team, and it was the San Diego Chargers, and, and that was the chance to um, make my first NFL team, which, which was even more grim when I got there. You know? so, so that required a whole other different type of mindset and mental strength and fortitude that I didn't necessarily need when I was picking up myself off the ground to to continue moving forward so uh that was the first time but when i i joined my first nfl team that was a whole other ball game where it was like holy smokes i'm living in a world where one moment every single day is going to determine whether i get another moment and so that's a whole other place mentally that you have to go to to live in a place where you you, you can't be fearful you, you can't be judgmental you can't feel pressure you can't try to live up to an expectation. You can't try to prove something to people. You, you have to be totally connected to yourself in that moment because to be great for seven seconds requires 100% of your energy. You can't be diverted into something that you don't control, right? So um, I had to learn that when I got my chance to join that NFL team. You know, as you were talking, I mean, literally, I was like, you know, how, how, how doesn't an athlete experience like this victim mindset when you have when you go through an injury and you go through illness and then your facilities around you are, are not like they're they're not conducive for your development and you get so frustrated and you want to quit and you know you're at the you're at that that the door you've been wanting as a kid to try out for a team and you feel like you're blown and you just want to just give up and and so that was coming up for me as like man he, he must have felt like a victim and and you did now, which is interesting is when you said something that was really cool about the tangible, when, it be, when the opportunity became tangible. So I've been there, and I've seen this with athletes, is that, and it's a great word, it's a great connection to, to that, that experience, because once, once it's real, like it becomes a reality, to me, that's the moment where it's, it's a cool feeling, but that's where we, as humans, we put meaning to it. Like, so when we put meaning to it, depending on what meaning it is, then we actually start putting pressure on ourselves. And, and <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So when I talk about meaning, it's like, we're meaning making machines. Like, like I, I work with teams all the time. They go into their championship game. I'm like, okay, it's championship game. What's different about the game? Nothing. And the rules haven't changed. The lines haven't changed. Everything's the same, but if you want to put all like the hype to it, like what media does, like when you think about the Super Bowl, NBA Finals, World Series, nothing's changed. It's just them all the meaning that we're putting towards it. So I love it when you started to go, man, became tangible, became a reality. And I wonder at that point if that was more uh, pressure that you put on yourself. 
I, I know it, I didn't put pressure on myself. I a hundred percent agree with what you just said. Um, I didn't put pressure on myself uh, at all. I didn't feel like, Oh my gosh, like you have to do X, Y, and Z. I just was more or less trying to pick up a broken version of myself to get back to the point where I could perform at a level that I thought I was capable enough to impress them to want to give me an opportunity. Um, and what I neglected to say, part of the frustration too, was that I had never redshirted. And um, I believed that I, I would, could qualify to get a redshirt year. And so I was really excited about that. I thought, okay, well, I can get this whole year back. And, and so I had some glimmer of hope. And when I went to go talk to the athletic rep for our school and told him kind of, hey, I think I have these extenuating circumstances. Um, he basically said, ah, oh, it says right here in black and white that you can't get a year back. So it is what it is. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not okay with that. And so uh, interestingly enough, and it just goes to show you, I mean, this is the takeaway for me is that, you know, you will always have moments where your faith is tested and your fortitude is tested and your job is to do everything in your power to continue moving forward. And if you will do that, then your destiny is going to be exactly what it's supposed to be in your life. But for many of us, it's at that point that we choose to be a victim, we get derailed and we end up in the abyss or we end up as, as vagabonds, emotional vagabonds, and, and we let ourselves just get lost. Um, right. And for me, I had all these circumstances where, you know, I was at a Division II football school where um, we had an 11-game schedule, and if we had that 11-game schedule still intact, I would have easily qualified for a redshirt year because I would have been under the number or percentage of games they say that you are allowed to play. Um, they count one, the second you, you play 30 seconds in a game, they counted that as a full game at the time. Um, so I had an 11 game schedule for our team going into my senior year. And the summer before that year, one of the teams that we were scheduled to play dropped their football program. So that brought us down to a 10 game schedule, which put me, put me over the limit. Um, and, And so we couldn't control that. But then on top of that, what used to be acceptable as a game for division two were scrimmages. And so we had set up a scrimmage against another team and um, that scrimmage would have counted except for that year that I was going into my senior year, they changed the rule to where now scrimmages no longer counted as a game. Uh, So I had just all these forces working against me that contributed to the frustration. Mm -hmm. I did not feel pressure. I just felt, I felt, let down i felt cheated you know i felt i definitely felt like a victim yeah. and i felt like someone stole something from me and that that right there might be the worst mentality because it's so hard to put forth the all the energy required to achieve something extraordinary when your your first inclination and instinct is to be a victim because that's that's going to inhibit you 100 percent of the time you'll never invest the right energy into being great ever. Uh, Totally. So so that was my greatest challenge. You know what I mean? Totally. When I left the game of football, that was, uh, I didn't get to choose uh, to leave the game of football that I loved, that I played for almost 13 years. My body told me, you know, I got had a career ending injury and the victim mindset kicked in because I was like, it's someone stole this from me. I didn't have choice. And man, that frustration Man, that stayed with me for a long time. I had to do a lot of work to get rid of that. But um, it's hard to be great. It's hard to achieve excellence when you're a victim. Um, so, I mean, that's you know beautifully said. 
Now, you brought up uh, a few things here, fear of failure, judgment, and pressure. And I know that you and I have had some incredible conversations about your career. And so and you've dealt with those three things a lot throughout your career. So can you tell the story or maybe the process of how you freed yourself? Like, what did you have to do to get to the point where you got you were free from failure, you're free from judgment, and free from the pressure? Yeah, that, that for sure was an evolution because at every sort of crossroad, I was contending with some different force. Um, so it was very interesting. Fortunately, one, I was, I had sort of by default and without consciously pursuing it, developed this toolkit. But then there were moments throughout my career where I absolutely had to seek out more tools because I'm like, there's no book to contend with this force right here that I'm dealing with. But, um, it probably happened. Actually, it definitely happened when I joined the, the San Diego chargers and, I was all excited. I mean, you think like, here's my dream. Oh my gosh, I'm actually a San Diego Charger. This is insane. And if you're going to your first camp and you're, you're going into the stadium and you're going into the locker room, you're seeing guys that you've watched on TV and you're like, oh my gosh, like, this is real. I'm here. And in reality, it's not real because you're just on borrowed time potentially. And you don't realize that at the time um, because they can only keep 53 guys on their active roster, 65 guys total and there's 90 guys in camp. So, you know, inevitably some guys aren't going to be there, but at the time you're like, I'm a charger. Uh, And then that's how it felt for me until I entered into the locker room and I'm super excited. And I'm seeing this, this hall of fame linebacker named junior Seau and, and he's a behemoth of a man. And, and you're seeing, you know, pro bowl corner, Gilbert and other guys. And, and then you turn the corner and there's a rookie area for the locker room. And, and I see this bag of goodies on my stool and it's shirts and hats and shorts. And I'm like, this is insane. Like I could get used to this. And then you look up and I see my number that they gave me and it was number 47. And that is absolutely not a receiver number, which is what I was. And so immediately that became alarming to me with not even really understanding how it all worked. Mm. I just thought, Ooh, of all the numbers they could give me, why they give me number 47. And then I go to my first meeting room and uh, when we break down into the receiver meeting room, I do the head count and there's 16 wide receivers there. And I'm like, that's a lot of guys. And I knew that they were going to keep five guys and that's all I knew. And so I thought, wow, there are 16 guys here fighting for five spots. That's a lot of guys. And then we go out to the field and you start talking and you realize that there are five guys returning from the year before. So you're like, wait a minute. Oh, wow. They got five guys returning from last year. Like, so if they liked them last year, why wouldn't they like them this year? There are 11 of us rookies here. What are we doing here? And so immediately you start sort of letting logic kick in. You start doing the simple math going, this seems really grim. Well, for me, it was more grim because, one, nobody else who played receiver had a number like mine. Everyone had a single-digit team number, 80-something number, which is what you want as a wide receiver. So I felt completely just – uh, isolated just from that alone. And then we went through a three day, five practice camp. And I literally got two repetitions of anything over the course of those five practices. I stood there as like the kid on the other side of the fence, asking for you to let him play without saying it. Um, and it was embarrassing, really embarrassing. I felt like a complete scrub, uh, especially wearing number 47. If I was wearing 80 something doing it is, is, as simple as that sounds and as trivial as that sounds, if I was an 80 something or team something or single digit something doing that, 
honestly, I would not have felt as exposed. But when I'm number 47 as a wide receiver, I felt like people just looked at me like, this guy is a total scrub, and I don't think it's he has – I don't know if he has any clue that he has no chance to make this team. Like, literally, I had those thoughts going through my head. Mm. Um, and so I, I, that camp ends, and I'll never forget talking to my, my best friend from the airport. He was backed up at school who I lived with, and he couldn't wait to find out how the camp went. And I was like, bro, I'm getting cut. He's like, what are you talking about? It's one camp. I'm like, you don't get it. <laughs> they got 16 wideouts fighting for five spots. You know, wow. they gave me number 47. No one has a number like mine. I have, they have five guys coming back from the year before. Uh, I got two reps and five practices. And my first rep, I got jammed out of bounds by their starting corner. And the second rep, I got the wind knocked out of me by junior sale in, the, in a ball that I caught. Like, there's no way I'm coming back. And so I went back up to school expecting this phone call that said, don't return. But at the, in the meantime, I was like, okay, I need to get in better psychological shape, better physical shape, and I need to start working with some defenders. So I hadn't worked with any, against anyone for like seven months. So I did that. I had about a month to do it, came back for another camp that was two weeks long, and there were three less wide receivers. I just was not one of them. So I got more repetitions, and with those, because it was a better psychological and physical shape, I did more. And then I got to go home for just under two months. And when I went home, that was a defining moment for me that really changed how I would approach and be able to overcome everything moving forward in not only my career, but just in life. And uh, I went home and I knew my reality. And this is so important for people to understand. I, I didn't accept my reality. I embraced my reality. I'm sorry. I didn't embrace my reality. I accepted my reality. Okay. Um, oh, no, no. I, let me rephrase that. I, I did not accept my reality. I embraced my reality and I embraced it meaning that I knew what it was. And my reality is when training camp starts, they're going to give you one repetition every practice to show them why you deserve another. And that's it. That's your reality. And, and I can promise you that although their reality was better, meaning the other 10 rookies that I was competing against, I guarantee you they went home upset about the fact that the team wasn't giving them enough reps, that didn't they know that they were a dude? Don't they know if they get a chance that they can prove that they're better than the five guys that they had there the year before? I promise you, because it's human nature, that they went home lamenting that fact. And it, it took away from their ability to prepare for the moments that they were going to get. And, and I went home, and I was like, my reality is I'm going to get one repetition every single practice. And so I have to be extraordinary. I cannot be like everybody else when I'm wearing number 47. So I'm going to, with intention and purpose for the first time in my life, go pursue my greatness and go challenge my threshold and play with a, a heightened focus that I never even considered before because I didn't have to. I was always enough. And so I did that every single day that I worked out. And by the time it was done and I was two days out from training camp, I'll never forget waking up in the morning, going into the, the bathroom and looking in the mirror. And it was like this epiphany. I looked at myself and I was like, you know, every day you're preparing to like go prove to somebody that, that you deserve to make this team and that you're good enough. And then all of a sudden I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just turned myself into somebody I've never been. And I love who I am. And you know what? I, I win. I don't know that I can explain this to people, but I win, and I get it now. It's not about 
proving to them that I'm good enough. I already know that I am. And I don't know if they're going to give me that one rep. They might not give me that one rep. And I can't let that any longer in my life define who Chris Thomas is. Because up until that point, you just subscribe to what the world tells you. And that is that you should let other people qualify who you are, right, by what you achieve. And I had subscribed to that. And it's, the irony is so thick. I mean, here you are as part of an elite group of people. There's only, you know, 1,700 guys who get a chance to get into a training camp on the planet. On the planet. You are a, an, an elite group of people. You should feel like the most accomplished person in the universe just to even get there. And yet, if you don't make the team as one of the final 1,400 guys, you're going to walk away feeling like a failure. And it's because... The, the world has made us feel that way. The culture that we have makes us feel that way. And we buy into it, yeah, oh which yeah. is why we lose ourselves, <laughs> which totally. is why we lose ourselves. Totally. And so I say that just so everyone can understand the power of that moment for me. Because in that moment, I realized, whoa, 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 that is no longer my definition of success. I just experienced it because what I could control, I did. I've turned Chris Thomas into someone he's never been. And that's enough for me. And if they give me the chance to demonstrate that, I'm so prepared for that moment. doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect in every moment, but I'm prepared for that moment to go get what I want. And if they don't give it to me, it will change nothing about how I feel right now. So the power of that is that it totally liberated me to go play and just not, and instead of trying to prove to them that I deserve to be there, I did not care. And that's exactly kind of how it played out. So I went there and got one repetition early on in the camp, every practice. And with that one rep, I was intimidated by nothing. I feared nothing. I didn't feel like I had to prove anything. For seven seconds, I was ready to go get what I wanted. And for the large majority of those moments, I did it. And I made them go, wow, I wonder if he can do it again. And then I do it again. And then I do it again. And all of a sudden, I was getting some other guy's repetition. And then some other guy's repetition. And then some other guy's repetition. And it was because I was playing a different game. Every moment mattered to me to just, I was playing it for me. So when you're playing it for you, it conjures a different, intention and focus behind the things that you're doing because I want every moment to be the best moment of my life. I want to make it the best moment of my life, whether I'm catching a ball that I'm jogging down the field on or whether I'm catching a ball against a, a, a pro bowl defender, it doesn't matter. Like I want that moment to be the best version of me because that matters to me. I want to take that away because I don't know how many of these moments I'm ever going to get. Right. And so that, that's what I did. And by the time we finished three preseason games, None of us rookies had played in one of those games, except for me. I got one rep. I think it was the first or second game, and it was a blocking play, and I even I screwed that up. I did the wrong thing. Um, and none of us rookies, rookies played because they were looking at the five guys that were there the previous year. And then the, the cut game came where they had to cut down from 90 to 65 guys. And uh, there was only six wide receivers left standing, and I was one of them. And then it came down to the last preseason game, where it was me and a guy that they loved. They made no secret about it. This was a guy that they asked to come early to meetings so that he could learn the playbook better, stay after meetings so he could learn the playbook better, stay after practices to go catch with a third-string quarterback so he could get more repetition than everyone else. No one else was being asked to do that except for him. So we clearly knew that they liked him. And by that time, you know, months into being there, I knew that that probably meant that he was going to get the last spot. But nonetheless, we have a final preseason game to play. We're going to get the fourth quarter all of ourselves. And so I can tell you that that moment could be overwhelming. 
right? <laughs> um, b- because you know that the dream all comes down to this. And you could do everything right and still not achieve the dream. And you certainly could do things wrong and you absolutely won't achieve the dream. And so you know it. Like you can't, you can't avoid that. It does nothing for you to try to ignore that because you can't. And if you try to ignore it, you just empower the, the feelings of fear and pressure and judgment that could potentially come with that moment. So you just you accept that moment and go, you know what? I believe I'm prepared to do as much as I can to own this moment. And that's just what I'm going to let myself do. And that happens. So fourth quarter comes. He and I get the fourth quarter to ourselves. We're playing up in San Francisco. Uh, and I'll never forget jogging through the tunnel. There's this picture that I have of me jogging through the tunnel. And I'll never forget like what I felt. I, I remember going, this may be the last time I ever put on an NFL uniform and jog through a tunnel onto an NFL field. And I'm just so grateful for this moment. I, and I just want to make sure that no matter what happens, that I walk away knowing I let myself have a chance to be great. I'll never forget that. And uh, so we go out in the fourth quarter and they try to throw this guy the ball five or six times and he cannot make a play. He never dropped the ball, but the ball was deflected. He slipped a couple times. Um, it was underthrown, overthrown. He never dropped the ball, but couldn't make a play. And then late in the fourth quarter, I, I'm on the left side of the field. I'm in the slot. I get this ball down the middle of the field and, and make no bones about it. I mean, it is a monumental moment in your life when you see a ball coming down the field that you know if you drop can end your dream right. immediately. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and just the feeling, the feeling of the stress. I mean, uh, I hate that people would feel that, but if I would have dropped that ball, if not in the right frame of mind to keep everything in context, like that's the stuff that haunts people. When you're like, I was an inch away from my dream potentially, and I couldn't come up in a moment and it haunts me that I wasn't big enough to succeed in that moment. I mean, if not in the right frame of mind and, and not applying the right context, that stuff can bury people. Uh, and I hate that for people um, because no one's life should, should hinge on a moment like that in terms of their sanctity and their peace and prosperity and experiencing life quintessentially. It shouldn't, but it does for the large majority because they don't have a toolkit to put life in context. Um, and I did. And because I did, I actually could be better in that moment. So I jumped up, caught the ball, fell down for like a 26-yard gain. The next day was cut day, and he and I are roommates, meaning the other wide receiver. And so the, the way that it works is the phone rings, and the Grim Reaper, as we call him, calls you to say, bring your playbook. The coach wants to see you, and you know that it's over. And it's a horrible feeling. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, and so sure enough, that afternoon, the next day, the phone rings, and I'm the one closest to it, and I have to answer it. And it's one of those phone calls you're like, I don't want to answer it, but I do want to answer it because I don't want him answering it and telling me the calls for me. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> it's a horrible feeling, man. I um, but, but I answer the phone and, um, and sure enough, it's a grim reaper and he's, and I know his voice and he says, hello, this is so-and-so. And I said, hello, Mr. So-and-so. And, and immediately the thought in my head was he's, he's calling to cut me and I've done everything in my power to make this team. I've had brilliant moments over and over again where I, I literally had no margin for error. I mean, when you're Chris Thomas wearing number 47 and a low man on the totem pole, you have zero margin for error. And what I loved about myself is that I did not shrink and I did not fear to the point where I would be inhibited in pursuing the end result that I wanted. Because looking back, if I would have been inhibited at all, I would have absolutely given up the moment 
over and over and over again where I needed to be great. And, and so I loved, I was aware enough to love that I didn't succumb to that. Yeah. And so I felt great about that, but I felt like I was getting cut. And uh, so he says, he says, you know, I said, hey, you know, how are you? And he says, fine. How are you? And I said, you know, fine, whatever. And he says, listen, I want to tell you that we like what you've done. We like you a lot. Uh, because of that, we're going to keep you here. I need to talk to you to wait. And so I handed the phone to the guy and he, he was told to bring his playbook and uh, go see the coach. And he would never be in a training camp again. And that right there launched my eight-year NFL career. Wow. Oh, man. You, you know what? I mean, it's a, that's a beautiful story um, in so many ways. But here, here's a few things that came up for me. When you actually looked yourself in the mirror, when when you just connected with yourself and loved yourself, when you said it, actually, I got chills. Because as much as any athlete that spends so much time working on their craft and loving the sport that they play in, there's, there's this connection, there's an identity to it. And so, you know, sometimes athletes, they forget that, like, the sport that you play is what you do. It's not who you are. And that's huge. And, and in that moment, that crucial moment, that elite moment, all the pressure that you're going through, you've connected, like, you had such a human experience about uh, connecting and loving yourself and how that freed you. So that was beautiful. That came up for me. And another thing that came up for me is that if I was in your shoes back in the day and I got the number 47, right, I would probably feel the same way. Um, but now that I'm a lot older and more mature and I have all the tools now and, and I teach people how to deal with situations like that, man, what an opportunity, a reframe moment where you can reframe that. Like being number 47 amongst 16 other wide receivers that have, you know, number 80-something or a single digit – I mean, an awesome opportunity to reframe that. Like, so what? I have forty-seven. I'm gonna, st- I'm gonna stand out because no one else has this number, and they're gonna remember who I am. You know, right? So that that way of thinking is such a great reframe. Now, if I was twenty-something years old, I probably wouldn't have that that mental fortitude. But now there's people like you and I can teach that and teach people how to reframe things like that in the moment. Oh, it's 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 huge. I mean, really, it, it was an epiphany in my life. That moment in the mirror was an epiphany in my life because it's just, it changed my perception of how I'm supposed to exist in the world. It changed the perception of like trying to allow other people to qualify my success in my life. And it even changed the perception of success for me because up until that point, the only success you could have is if you made the team. And then after that, the only success you can have is if you're a starter. And after that, the only success you can have is if you're a pro bowler. And after that, the only success you can have is that you're a Hall of Famer. And so you just buy into that. And, and so this is why it's so brutal for people to experience life as they pursue anything and have any ambitions because your chance to experience success is only a sliver. It's very definitive. There's no gray area. It's very black and white. Like I've expressed that this is my definition of success. And so the only way I can feel achieved is if I achieve that, well, you know, let's just face it, that the greater the goal, the more the odds are against you, the more, you know, forces that are going to come into play that also determine whether or not you will achieve that goal, right? It's not just if Chris is great, I could have been great and they could have had no interest in seeing my greatness and I could not have all have, had at all achieved what I set out to achieve. And that actually happened in my career later on. Um, and that was brutal, but 
um, yeah, so I could do everything right and not get what I want. And if I subscribe to what you tell me I should feel, which is like a failure because I didn't get it, that's going to impact my life. It's going to impact my relationships. It's going to impact who I see when I look in the mirror moving forward. It's going to impact just my energy. And subconsciously, I'm going to hold on to that. And, and even though that's a huge failure in the context of trying to do something like make an NFL team, in life, we experience what people you know, define as failure over and over and over again. And so all those add up to a point where finally I just don't like who I am. And if I'm an athlete, you're right. Most athletes have a hard time separating the person from the player. And um, that's tragic because sports is meant to be an extension of who you are not a definition of who you are. And in my video series that I created, I actually talk about that in great depth to enlighten people as to how they should perceive sports in their life because that perception will free them up to just play and not feel like it's a defining moment of, of them. Um, uh, so I do talk about that. But no, it's, it's, that separation is critical because when you wear – what you're going to do as an athlete, as a person, it creates that much more pressure because that's, that's yep. the way you define yourself. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, that's the way you define yourself. And if you can't escape from that, then it wreaks havoc on your sense of self and your psyche. Um, so yeah, the thing that I was really good at was, uh, and I'm so grateful for, I guess, these trials, as I look at them now, I certainly wasn't at the time I was frustrated, but um, as I look at them now, it's like all these moments where there were crossroads like that, um, where I could have adopted one mentality or another. I'm grateful that I chose the right one because I needed that. I needed that foundation. And my foundation got bigger and bigger. But every time it got bigger, I was confronted with something else. I was like, geez, when is this going to stop? Like, <laughs> at what point am I just going to break at some point? Because you keep, you keep throwing me into the fire. And, and I, I don't know that I'm going to continue to have the strength to, to fight the fire. You know, this is becoming overwhelming. It's hard enough just to function and be great and, and the energy involved in that on a daily basis when you're playing a professional sport. But, but man, now you're throwing these other elements in here that how much can someone take before they break? You know what I mean? Yeah. Man. Man, that's... Uh... As I say this a lot on my show, man, you are uh, you are preaching the mental gospel, um, and I love it. And so, with that being said, as far as you know, teaching lessons and and helping people, you have created an awesome company called Fusion Odyssey. Uh, for the most part, it is a, a mental performance practice. Share with my listeners uh, what Fusion Odyssey is all about and what motivated you to create this company. Yeah, so when I left the game, you know, it's funny, um, and I didn't get into great detail. I know we don't have, we don't have time on the show to talk about it, but uh, when I was making the NFL for the first time, I mean, that was one set of mental challenges. But as my career progressed, I really contended with forces that there was no book for that that could have easily overwhelmed me and absolutely broken me, and it did for a short period of time, and I'm grateful for that because – it, it forced me to have to unlock every sort of chamber of the mind um, in, in an environment where um, the, the stakes are already really, really high on a daily basis. And it allowed me to learn how to play this different game and allowed me to learn how to play the game within the game that we hear people talk about frequently. Um, and it not only did that, but it, it made me stand back and recognize that 
all the while when I was a kid, I was playing this different intellectual game. I wasn't just playing this different emotional game. Somehow I had this innate understanding about the chess match that exists in sports. And I wasn't just a football player. I played tennis. I ran track. I played soccer. I played basketball as an adult. Um, I played volleyball back then, beach volleyball back then. Um, I did a number of different things. I played baseball for years. Um, and so looking back, uh, in part, the reason I was so successful is because I always understood this sort of chess match within the game. And um, I didn't realize that that was relevant until I really ended my NFL career, where for four and a half years, I was thrust into kind of this de facto PhD program in sports psychology, just because of what I was contending with, with a coach standing there on the sideline going, I don't want you here. Um, you're not my guy. And I don't care that you're performing great. I want to get rid of you. So I'm not looking for your successes. I'm looking for your failures. And I'm hoping on any given day, you give me just enough to justify getting rid of you. Wow. And that's a hard thing to deal with for a day or a week. I dealt with that for four and a half years virtually. Um, and so I needed to learn how to play in a space that was my own and play a game that was my own and a game that was totally different than everyone else, where I could create this cocoon around me, this force field, where for the seven seconds I needed to be great. I could be great because I wasn't playing a game that brought into play these exogenous forces that I didn't control. I was playing a game that was finite, microscopic, that forced my mind to go to a very narrow space where in that space you couldn't, you didn't have room to think about what's the coach going to say? What if I drop the ball? Oh my gosh, I should fear failing. Oh my gosh, they're going to judge me. Oh my gosh, I need to be perfect. Like there was not enough space to do that and also own the game that I had taught myself to play. Um, so it was awesome because I could protect myself from all those forces and then learn to own that space. And I didn't even know I was really doing that or there was a theory behind it until I was asked in 2004 for one day to go out to a JV football uh, practice and work with their wide receivers. Well, in being asked to do that and agreeing to do it, I basically went home and thought, okay, well, what am I going to give them for a day? And I want them to walk away being blown away by my knowledge. So what am I going to give them? It was at that moment that I looked back and said, holy smokes, wait a minute. I think that I was playing that 85% that they talked about that one day in the NFL that first day. So let me think about this. And as I thought about it, I started theorizing what I was actually doing and realized, oh my gosh, I was playing this different emotional game, different psychological game, and a different intellectual game. And I was doing that in a world where physical development is all people know. And I was really existing on another dimension. I wasn't just functioning as an athlete. I was functioning as an intellect before I was ever an athlete, as a psychologist before I was ever an athlete. And that's why I had all the success, because I was tapping into three elements of performance, the psychological element, which emotional falls under, this intellectual element, and then the physical element. Well, the physical element is 34%, as I see it, of development. The other 66% is half intellectual and half psychological and emotional. And so here I am competing against the, the guys who are the best in the world at their craft, who were competing against me as athletes. Well, I was competing in, competing against them as an intellect and then as a psychologist and then as an athlete. Well, you can't compete with me when I'm tapping into three elements and you're tapping into one. And so I theorized that and I thought, well, what's going to happen when I give this to someone else? So I did that for a day and uh, the next day and watched these kids do crazy things where the coaches were like, okay, what did you just do? We know those kids. They're not supposed to be very good. And then one day you had them doing things that I would have never thought they could do in a lifetime. Um, and so I stuck around and watched basically three irrelevant kids from the freshman team 
become superstars for me. And every kid transformed basically that was a wide receiver to the point where parents were like, okay, I've never seen that in my life. Will you coach next year? I was like, absolutely not. I don't have time for this. Um, and I'm breaking down film to one in the morning. I'm starting a career at Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor at the same time. I just didn't have time for it, but I loved it. And it was not where I expected to be in my life. I never pursued it. Right. Um, so they said, well, listen, is there any way we can work with you privately? We'll pay you whatever. Um, and I thought, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. So I approached a guy who had been um, a mentor to me and a great friend. And then Bob Galliano, a longtime quarterback in the NFL for 11 years, and said, hey, BG, um, what if we create a learning institution for athletes, like a four-and-a-half-month learning institution where we can give these kids this incredible knowledge and give them a chance to become something they've never been? And he was up for it, so that's what we did. And I named it Fusion Odyssey because if anyone knew me at the time and they know me now, they know that Chris Thomas is not defined by being an athlete. I believe that sports is a mechanism for discovery. It is an extension of who we are, um, but there are direct synergies between sports and life. And so fusion was because of the diffusing together of the three elements of performance that I theorized. Um, and then Odyssey is a spiritual journey. And I've always believed that sports should be a spiritual experience of done correctly. And if you are unlocking the right things in the way of who you're meant to be as a performer, that truth be told is only going to be unlocked if you access the mind. Uh, physical development by itself will never unlock it um, alone. So um, that's kind of what happened. So I started this, this program with a handful of wide receivers, and they all did amazing things. But the one guy who put us on the map was a guy who uh, went from a 18-catch, 252-yard, two-touchdown kid who lacked all the confidence in the world, who became a monster and was a 71-catch, 1,502-yard, 21 touchdown kid the next year who got a D1 scholarship opportunity and that began fusion. And so it progressively grew. Uh, It progressively grew over the years. And what I loved is that, you know, yes, I work with some kids who are three and four star kids in the sports world at that time, but the large majority of the kids I worked with was, was what I loved. They, They were no star kids. They had no business achieving that level of success. And I loved it. I absolutely loved like seeing a kid who's, who's just this unassuming kid who's like, I've never been great. I, I would love to, to taste greatness, but I don't think there's a chance that I can do that. But I'm here because I want to be great. And then taking that kid who's a, a backup wide receiver and never started in his life, who is now playing for, you know, one of the best programs around making uh, CIF semifinals and championship games in the playoffs. And, and you're taking a kid who was a nine-catch, 45-yard kid the entire season. And in the first game after working with you, he's a 10 catch, 150 yard, two touchdown kid. who ends up being the second leading receiver in the County in a very competitive County in Southern California football who has no business doing that. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. so that right there, it just, that fed me. And so I loved the fact that I was taking those kids and turning them into things that they couldn't be. The only reason that that was happening was because they were accessing the mind and I was creating a different emotional experience for them. I was creating the ability to play this game within the game. I was eliminating fear, judgment, pressure, trying to be perfect, expectations, all of that. I was allowing them to believe that they owned their game and they weren't borrowing it. They weren't waiting to find out if this game was going to work for them. They were playing a different intellectual game. Um, And so they learned how to play in this cocoon where it no longer was about proving anything to someone. It was no longer about the guy in front of them. And, oh, my gosh, he looks like he's going to be much better than me. 
none of that stuff existed for them. They learned how to play a totally different game. So it evolved to the point where three and a half years ago, uh, I ended up speaking at an event where there was 26 club soccer girls there, ended up working with my first athlete outside of football, which was a soccer player, and consulting with a player who was in the absolute abyss emotionally, had anxiety, could not function, could not even relax in practice when she went to practice. And then just a consultation, she's like, I cannot wait to go to practice tomorrow. In a week, she turned into a girl she'd never been. She worked with a technical coach for three years prior to meeting with me and had always got dominated by this other girl after one time of taking her on the field to teach her this new game with, within the game and a different connection with her ball. She, she, I get a text from her mom that says, um, you know what, I'm watching my daughter dominate this girl who just dominated her every time they're together for three years, and I can't believe it. And, and when I was told by the girl the next time I saw her, she's like, yeah, my coach told me that they had never seen me look more confident than, than that day when I dominated that girl. And that was the power of the mind. So I then branched out and thought, you know what, I'm, I feel like I'm being called to do this for my life, not just as something that I do on the side. Um, and I, I, if, if that's what I'm supposed to be, I want the science to be greater. And within three and a half months, I was working with 16 soccer girls privately three baseball boys, a couple of basketball kids, and still all my football boys, and decided that, you know what, I, I think this information is too good to just be doing this with people who can physically access me in my backyard here in Ventura County. So I made a decision to um, try to make Fusion Odyssey more universal and give people access to what it is that I know. And the first way to do that was to create a website and to create a video series, um, which I did. I spent 15 months creating a video series that was – really addressing every single component of the mind that comes into play that will affect your experience either constructively or destructively. And whether that's intellectual, whether that's understanding why training with something at stake is important, whether that's understanding you know, how to contend with expectations, whether that's redefining you know, judgment, instead looking at it as, as observation and instead of pressure, it's opportunity. Whatever it was, I created a video series based on my experience, based on at that point, my 13 years of working with athletes or 14 years. And then based off my number of years consulting with athletes and understanding what conflicts them and restricts them. And so I finished that a couple months ago. And now that is the way that people can access Chris Thomas on fusionodyssey.com and, or reach out to me through that website to consult with me if they have things that are going on. And eventually I will have a football series on there that really integrates the mind into the way that you become a wide receiver or a tight end. And then I'll have a soccer video series, a baseball one as well, and possibly a basketball one. But that's the way that people could access me either through consultation or uh, accessing the video series, which is a game changer. It is one video a day. They're all fairly short between six and 20 minutes. Um, and if you take just notes off of what you're hearing, you literally will create a cliff note that you can look at for three minutes before you go out to perform, that should transform the game that you play and liberate you to just go find your greatness. So fusionodyssey.com is the website. Beautiful, man. And uh, what about social media? Can they follow you on social media? They can. They can at Fusion Odyssey. I'm just new to the social media world. Uh, I've just sort of used social media to get myself out there, but I'm going to start being more consistent. And the things that I post are relevant to you know, performance development and just perspective about yourself and about life and about how you approach sports. It, you, you know, you don't come to Fusion Odyssey so that you can see, you know, me posing and, and the perfect picture or uh, me doing anything that is irrelevant to you being the best version of you. So 
Uh, if you want to be the best version of you, then follow me and at Fusion Odyssey on YouTube would be great too, because I will be posting videos of people actually working out with me that you can you can watch and you can see what they're doing and actually hear what we're talking about. Um, that stuff is going to be awesome. And then just talking about how to approach sports. I will have conversations. I'm coming out with something next week that's that's uh, about Headstrong, a documentary about mental health. And it was perfect because it's all the things that I know inflict people. And now you have professional athletes coming out to say, yeah, I, 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 I became depressed. I became anxious. I became suicidal. I had suicidal thoughts because of the overwhelm of having to perform. And I, I never had a toolkit. And that's the coolest thing about our world is, you know, we just thrust you into these environments where it's like, okay, we're going to scrutinize you, judge you. We're going to make you feel pressure. We're going to make you fear failing because we, we've created a two-dimensional world, success and failure for you. And you're going to be on the wrong end of success far, far too often that it's probably going to affect your sense of self and your willingness to just fully expose yourself. And we're going to ask you then to go be great in the process uh, as well. And like, but we're not going to give you any toolkit to actually learn how to become great in spite of all that. Right. It's the cruelest thing you can do to someone. Totally. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so anyway, this is, this is about giving you a toolkit where you can put it all in perspective and go out and pursue your greatness without fear and inhibition and judgment and pressure and just go play because none of that stuff is real. We've just subscribed to the context of it because the world told us that's what we were supposed to do. But if you step back and don't be emotional about it and you allow yourself to be logical about it and, and watching my video series, you will stand back and go, oh my gosh, that's the context that's real. And that's my new definition. Because that's what it's about. It's about redefining your experience. It's not just about giving you visualization tactics. It's about redefining how you look at fear of failure, redefining how you look at judgment, how you look at expectations, how you look at trying to be perfect. Once you redefine it, then it's like you become this blank canvas that you can just create the masterpiece that you were meant to be. It is amazing, and it's how sports was meant to be delivered to you and utilized. So I want to help people utilize it like that. That's awesome. You know, it's empowering yourself, and it's uh... – uh, man, it just you're again. You're preaching the mental gospel, and I'll tell you what. As a mental performance coach, the the thing that I love the most about my job, like the the thing that that gets me just my frequency on fire, where I'm just vibing and I'm vibrating, is when I have an athlete or a team, but an athlete that is bought in. They're bought into it. They're committed to it. And more often than not, that's where you see the results when people are bought into it. But uh, it's just a great feeling when when you see that so and it seems like you've you've had a lot of people buy in and a lot of people trust you and 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 build that that beautiful rapport with you and they've seen results and that's just the beauty of being in service and the beauty of of what we do and uh with that being said uh, i mean i i wish i could have you on the show for another two or three more hours because there's so many other things that i want to talk to you about but i want to thank you chris for for your energy for your for your stories, uh, your journey, and sharing your mindset, man, this was a uh, this was an awesome treat, man. I appreciate it. No, GP, thanks for having me, man. I loved I loved when you and I were talking and everything that you were talking about, and just your energy and your perspective, and you get it. And the world needs you. The world needs me. I'm just grateful that uh, I got a chance to meet you and uh, get a chance to do this with you because uh, you're someone that gets it, and uh, you're doing an amazing service as well. So I appreciate you, brother. Awesome, man. Likewise, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Bye.